We've had a fun morning so far, but it is not the morning that we thought we were going to have a week ago. Originally, we had this big outdoor tailgate uh, extravaganza, our first ever outpost tailgate plan. And then we had like monsoons for 12 hours straight. Can you have more than one monsoon? Is that monsoons? I think so. And we had them. And so we have postponed, not canceled, postponed the outpost tailgate until September 25th. So get ready. The next two Sundays, we got all kinds of stuff going on in the parking lot. We pray for fantastic weather, birthday bash next weekend, outpost tailgate the weekend after that. But that said, as we conclude our six-week teaching series called Underground Jesus, with, uh, if you're new, we've been looking at what does the underground movement of Jesus, the early church, look like through the book of Acts? And how today can we replicate what we see there? This final week, uh, I was going to talk about our decentralized approach to church, which is our outposts, empowering them, empowering you to live on mission. Uh, but we're going to save that till September 25th, or the message that week. We're going to look at some of that. Instead, this morning, I, I, I did a 180, like literally yesterday at noon. So, you know, if it's not good, blame the weather, blame God. Because I just felt like God was changing some things for today, and I thought this message should reflect that. If you'll join me by turning it to Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 22, we're eventually going to get to that. Um, I, was, I was thinking about how in the book of Acts, you see this incredible story where Jesus was crucified, resurrected from the grave at the end of the Gospels, and then he presents himself in Acts 1 to the disciples. He says, you're supposed to go to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That the message that because of the work of Jesus' uh, resurrection of, from the grave, that anybody can draw near to a perfect God, like, you guys got to get that message out there. And so they're going to go to the very ends of the earth throughout the, the book of Acts. And what happens is in Acts 2, they're given the Holy Spirit. And then Peter and John and others preach the gospel boldly. It begins to spread. Then great persecution breaks out. They kill Stephen, one of the first seven deacons. And then this guy, Paul, or Saul, was overseeing the persecution of Christians, has a radical life transformation in Acts chapter 9. It's where we get the name Mercy Road from, was Paul was on the road to Damascus, has a radical life change, and goes on to write a lot in the New Testament because of what Jesus did. If you could do that in Paul's life, you could do that in anybody's life. And I was thinking, you know, when we went through this series, we didn't stop in Acts 9 very long because we, we had other things that we were looking at. But when you get to Acts 22, what happened after Paul came to faith was he goes away for 14 years. He comes back. All the Christians are scared of him. He ends up in Antioch, which becomes home base for the early Christian church. And they set aside Paul and Barnabas to go on a journey to tell people about Jesus. And it turns into his first missionary journey. And then his second one was even bigger. Third one, even bigger. And now they're starting churches all over the Roman Empire. And he's following up by writing to them. But a lot of times, if you've been around church, we'll talk about those missionary journeys, but not what happens after. See, in Acts 22, Paul is now back in Jerusalem, and he's being held accountable by the, the Jewish community because of what he's preached about Jesus. And he's uh, going to be brought before trial, and he's going to tell them about how he came to faith. And that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 12. Are you ready to study God's word together, church? 
Come on. Now, quick side note. Forgot to mention this. I was at a youth soccer game yesterday. Anybody go to any sporting events yesterday? Okay, just a few of you. Hey, by the way, this service, no one reminded me that the Notre Dame Fighting Irish lost yesterday. So thank you. That's the first service all morning that's happened. Uh, I don't know what you were doing yesterday, but I was actually watching an eight, uh, seventh grade or seven-year-old soccer game. And my son, Jet, for the first time, had joined like this travel team. And uh, he's not one of the better players on the team yet. And so he had been very discouraged. And in the game yesterday, he scored his first goal. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And, but the best part is, you know, he's probably not going to be a pro soccer player, but his eyes like lit up and he just got so much confidence after that, right? And I want to tell you this morning, I think for some of us, if we actually acknowledge the ways that things aren't going well in our lives, that we might have one of those moments where God breaks through and your eyes perk up a little bit. Because when Paul retells the story of this one guy named Ananias, and how he changed his life, you can tell him that, like, that he is recounting a story with incredible significance to him. At this point in his life, he had been somebody who had studied under Gamaliel. He was an educated scholar uh, under a great rabbi. He was a dual citizen in the Roman Empire. He had power and authority, and he threw it all away to follow Jesus. And at first, it was kind of cool. He went on those three missionary journeys, and people are coming to faith. Miracles are happening. He's hearing from God in his dreams. And then he's imprisoned. <laughs> and he ends up here in Jerusalem, and he's going to appeal to Caesar, and he's going to be taken to Rome, and he's going to get shipwrecked along the lay. He almost dies, and then he gets to Rome, and he's going to be imprisoned and house arrest for two years. He's going to get out only to go to real prison for longer. And Eusebius, the church historian, at least, accounts that around 70 AD, Paul will be beheaded for his faith. So if I'm Paul, and I'm in Acts 22, and I'm in a, uh, being imprisoned for my faith in Jerusalem, I'm going, God, where are you? Paul's stuck. He's got nowhere to go. He's got to be going, where are you, God? Maybe some of you are there today, that you're looking for direction from God in your life. And I want to show you how he recounts the story of Ananias, and then we're going to break that down this morning. Here's what it says. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. See, when Paul was on the road to Damascus and he encountered Jesus, he was made blind for three days. And he wasn't sure who Jesus even was. Verse 14, then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witnesses to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what, you're, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And in that moment in Acts 9, everything changed in Paul's life. And as he's recounting it to the people in Jerusalem, he's saying, you may feel far from God. You may be like I used to be, but he told me to get up, get baptized, and my life has never been the same since. Do you know in the last five weeks, I didn't share this at the other services, I believe we've had over 17, I think it was at least 17 people that got baptized. Five straight weeks, people have gotten baptized in here at least two-thirds of them did not come to a service planning to be baptized. 
And as God began to speak to people, they just said, uh, what's going to keep me from being baptized? I'm going to follow the Lord. I wonder what God is going to do next week at our birthday bash. I wonder what he's going to do for the rest of the fall. I wonder what he's going to do through our discipleship huddles and outposts. I wonder what he's going to do through Root as we kicked that off last Wednesday. You can still join it this Wednesday. And I share all this to say that some of us this morning need to hear a fresh word from God to have fresh fruit in our life, as Jeremy talked about last week. And that's what I want to highlight. Will you pray with me? God, in that moment, everything changed for Paul. And as we look eventually by the end of this this morning at the last chapter of the book of Acts, God, and how he was able to to face a difficult season of his life and be used by him in a powerful way, God, it's only because of the faith he built through suffering. And so right now, we just pause and we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit And I know that there are some who are suffering in this room. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us. Replenish us. Give us direction in our life. We love you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen. Amen. You know, uh, most of you know that I I lived in Southern California for seven years. My wife is from the, the valley there in Southern California. I miss many things about California. One, the weather two, in and out. The third thing that I do not miss at all is LA traffic. Have any of you ever driven on a 405 during rush hour? A few of you, a few of you. I'm going to pray special prayers for you. Uh, If you're wondering uh, what that might be like, I've got a photograph. It's a real photograph that was doctored and not real at all, actually. But uh, this is the 405 during rush hour and somebody, I'm not making this up, Somebody actually took this and made more lanes and put more traffic there. Why you would want more traffic on the 405, I have no idea, but somebody accomplished it. Now, when you look at that photo, what kind of feelings do you experience? You feel that like knot in the pit of your stomach and just like, like, I don't know what it is, but God did not wire me to drive in traffic. It's one of the things I love about Indiana, although if you go out to 69 at like 5.30 in the afternoon, pray for me. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, when I first moved to California, um, by the way, if you're like, are those cars going like 80 miles an hour though? No, no, they're not. They're going like eight miles an hour. People's dogs are running past you as you're driving down the freeway. When I first got there too, I always thought if I just get off on the side road over there, I could get around on the outside and I'd get fast. No, you can't. You're just stuck. There's nothing you can do about it. And that feeling of stuckness, the anxiety that you feel, the the knot in the pit of your stomach, I imagine there are some, maybe many of you, if we're being honest, Feel that in your life at times about the direction that you're heading, about where you're at spiritually and the the lack of impact that you were hoping to have. We've been talking about this great, amazing vision for the underground movement of Jesus in our lifetime to see a million people come to Christ in the state of Indiana by the year 2050. But the truth is, in your life, you feel like you're just stuck in spiritual traffic and not seeing the impact you're desiring. And some of us, we just have trouble uh, listening to directions in general. Uh, my uh, friend Eric Maitland, our worship pastor, the tall man that was up here earlier, uh, when we first met, I didn't know how bad he was with directions. And I was up uh, near 146th and Gray Road. There's Eric. There, I didn't see you in the back. 
Are you slouching or is that full height? Okay. I, I'm literally like an inch taller than Eric and I've made these jokes for 11, 12 years. Um, you know, this is a true story though. One of the first times I ever hung out with Eric, I said, hey, meet me on 146 in Gray Road. And he's supposed to take about a half an hour. He's coming from the east side of Indianapolis. He called me like an hour and a half later. And he's like, am I supposed to be in Whitestown? Is this along the way? And he was dead serious. He had no idea. And I was like, oh man, this is going to be trouble. How many of you are thankful for GPS on your phones now? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be cool if you had spiritual GPS? You could just be like, hey, Siri, tell me what I'm supposed to do next. But, <laughs> here's the thing in following God sometimes. It, you have to begin to learn how to listen to his voice to know where he's sending you and what he's desiring of you. And that's, that's hard. And sometimes the voice is not saying the things that you want to hear. And I've realized over uh, the years of my life that there are times that I have felt stuck spiritually stuck in life. Maybe you've felt some of you have stuck in your marriages or stuck in your dating life, stuck in your relationships with your children, stuck with your addictive habits, stuck with your struggles with sex or sexuality or pornography, or stuck in the ways that you're uh, struggling with alcohol and drugs. Uh, you're stuck in the ways that you're in your, in your career path and the things that you're desiring. You just feel stuck, overwhelmed. Where are you, God? So how in the world does Paul go from somebody who's like oh, persecuting Christians to encountering Jesus that, that then will go live by faith in a way that he could be facing prison in Rome and he can write to the church in Philippi with pure joy because of our partnership in the gospel. Like what's he got that we don't have? And, and here's what I want to encourage you with this morning. That if you look at in Acts chapter nine of when Ananias led him to the faith, he had the perfect example of how a human being heard from God and responded with obedience with what he was supposed to do. And I have to imagine that sent Paul on a path where throughout all of his missionary journeys and his end of life in Rome, that he learned how to sacrificially suffer for Christ, no matter what he had told him to do or what the cost was. And that's what I want to show you. See, if we go back to the original telling of the story in Acts chapter 9, Paul was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. He encounters Jesus. He gets scales over his eyes. He can't see. He goes blind. And then God speaks to this guy named Ananias, a guy that most of us don't even remember his name, certainly couldn't spell it. And look what he gets to lead Paul to Christ, who will lead countless others to Christ and will write much of the New Testament. In verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he said. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Like this is very specific, by the way. Straight Street is the one Roman road that goes through Damascus. I've got a, a photo of a Roman archway that you can still see there over that street. And he's saying, go to that street and you're going to find Judas. He lives on that street. And in that, that house, he goes on and says, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your people. I'm going to break down these verses and a couple more and demonstrate, if you're feeling stuck this morning, how to develop faith that whether you're stuck or not, you could be used by God for spiritual impact like we've described the last five weeks. How you could get to the end of your years and say, even if I'm imprisoned, I'm going to be used by God for even greater impact. Uh, this took some work this morning. We're going to have some triple A faith 
some AAA faith, charge our spiritual batteries a little bit, have the type of faith that is overflowing because of the love we've received from God and pouring over into the love of others. This wasn't easy. Number one, the first A, acknowledge God's voice. Pretty simple, right? Ananias there in that passage in verse 10, the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. And verse 11, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on straight street and ask for a man named uh, Saul. That God speaks to him and he acknowledges that God is actually speaking. For some of us, that, it, that is the most difficult part of this whole process because we struggle uh, acknowledging or hearing from God. And I want to tell you, there are moments where you're praying and you're crying out and for years at a time, you're not getting answers the way that you want. And sometimes God has seasons that are about being patient and waiting. Actually, there was a friend of mine here in the church who a couple weeks ago, the Spirit of God just spoke to him and he, he, we met to talk about it. And he was like, God's just speaking to me. I was like, what did he tell you to do? He said, he said be patient. I was like, that's awesome. You heard from God. So what do you think he wants you to do with that? He was like, looking at me like I was nuts. He's like, be patient. I was like, yeah, but maybe you didn't hear it all. Maybe you want to know. He's like, no, he just wants me to be patient. And, and I realized for, for some of us, that's going to be the message that we get in certain moments. But we have to acknowledge, first of all, that God is speaking to us, that one day he's going to return and put the world right. And all we have in this life is to utilize whatever time we have to hear his voice and, and respond in the way he's asking us to respond. I don't know what he's asking you today, but the first step is to acknowledge that he is trying to speak to you. Point number one done. That's the shortest point I've ever made in the history of this church. <laughs> Woo! Come on. You, one person appreciated that. I'll remember that in this next point. Point number two, uh, <laughs> this is fun, acquiesce, second A, acquiesce. You're like, that's a made-up word. No, acquiesce to his plans. Here's what the word acquiesce means. Accept something reluctantly but without protest. See, we automatically assume that God's going to, like, when we give our life to Christ and his favor is going to be on us, that then all of a sudden his plans become our plans, which usually translates into our plans becomes his, his, his plans. It doesn't always work that way. Throughout Scripture, both in the Old and New Testament, you see people who God is calling them to take action in their life, and there are ways that they don't really want to. Look what happened here with Ananias. He gets this vision, verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man. I know you want me to go to Judas on Straight Street and find this guy named Saul, but do you know about this dude? Like, I've heard about the reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. You ever hear from God and you're like, I'm not sure I heard that right? You know, um, there was uh, a time in my life where uh, I had become a, a Christian and I was in my early 20s and I was really uh, looking for now a godly woman for the first time in my life. And I was like, I want to find someone who really follows the Lord. And, and I, for four years, I didn't go on uh, hardly any dates. And, and this is kind of random. I didn't share this at the other services, but I was, I was thinking about this just a moment ago as I was preaching on this. And I realized, like, in that season, it's so frustrating to me. 
Like, God, where are you? Why aren't you hearing me? I'm trying to honor you now. And it was actually in that season of waiting that God began to renew my faith and show me what was important in my life. And I found that to be true in all kinds of areas. When we acquiesce to his plans that we accepted, even sometimes reluctantly without protest, Ananias had to say, okay, I don't get this. This doesn't make any sense to me. But what did Jesus say? But let thy will be done. Garden of Gethsemane is going to go to the cross, right? Like, take this cup from me, but let thy will be done. And sometimes I feel like with young people, you feel like he's trying to ruin your fun on the weekends. As you get older in life, you start feeling like all of this chaotic world and you see a lot of evil and harm that people do and shady things. And you start thinking, was my mom, my grandma, my parents who led me to the Lord, were they really, were they really real? Is any of this really real? And I want to tell you, the enemy wants to whisper into your ear and get you to slowly turn your back and run from him rather than to change your plans to his to go, oh, his plans must not be right for me. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to uh, prosper you, plans to give you hope in a future. And there's a lot more to the context of that verse, but the heart of that is found throughout the Old and New Testament, where God is like God of the universe, created everything in six days, knitted us together in our mother's womb, and he compares us to like an ant. Like we can't even understand his ways. And so his plans are far greater than our plans. And yet I have the audacity sometimes to go, but God, I want this thing to happen and I want it to happen my way. Imagine you're Ananias for a second and you're told to do what he did. Be like, uh-uh, not doing it. Imagine you're Paul now. You've come to faith and he's like, I want you to go on all these missionary journeys and now I want you to come back and now you're going to be in prison pretty much the rest of your life. The type of faith that we read about in these passages, like I feel like most American Christians, we, we could never actually live that way. Because when one little thing goes wrong, we start questioning God on every, like where do we get the audacity to think that we understand better than him? Look, I'm not telling you, sometimes horrible things happen that are dishonoring to God, that are destructive to your lives. And I don't think that God desires these things to happen. And in a fallen world, until Jesus returns, things happen. But I want to tell you, if you want to have AAA faith this morning, you have to acquiesce to his plans and understand that even when I don't get it sometimes, following suit will bear fruit in the long haul. That rhymed. Dude, I should have done that every service. <laughs> following suit will bear fruit in your life. It, for some of us this morning, we need to hear that because how does, how does uh, the writer of Hebrews describe faith? Hebrews 11 verse 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, that we have confidence to live differently because of the hope we have, that we can acquiesce to his plans because he, we know he knows better than us, and assurance about what we do not see. Assurance that we, he will return and we will spend eternity with him and that this life is about him and his purposes in our life first and foremost. I, I meet people all the time who are just like, I want to be a, a great follower of Jesus. I want to have impact. I want to be part of reaching a million people for Christ, but I got like this stuff and I keep going back to the same addictions and I just can't. I can't change. I'm, I just could never be a good husband or a good father. I don't know why I, was, I wasn't raised that way. I can't do it. I could never be a good mother or a good friend or 
you know, uh, whatever it is, I, I just, I don't know how to do it. I can't be a good employee. I, I'm, I want to tell you, you have the God of the universe that created everything, right? Like he, he's all powerful, all knowing he's in your corner. Whatever that is that you can't do, you may not walk on Mars someday. You may not play in the NBA, but you can do whatever his voice is asking you to do. But it's going to take surrender. It's going to give up, giving up control, acquiescing to his plans. Finally, number three. See, we don't acquiesce, just acquiesce our plans. We have to then act. Act like Ananias. Some of you are like, that's a fourth A. Quadruple faith. Uh, no, uh, we're doing triple A faith this morning. Although I do think assurance in Christ is what leads to all of this. And somebody was saying this. See, and I want to tell you why acting out in your faith is so important. Ananias will get to be a part of leading Paul to Christ. It's an incredible thing that he would never would have experienced if we would just sat there questioning God's plans. I, I talked to a guy this morning in between the services, and he told me I could share this, uh, that because he knew God was asking him to do something and he refused to do it, he actually lost $320,000 in like a day. Isn't that crazy? And, and he knew he was being disobedient to what God was asking in his life. We think sometimes that like our, our decisions don't have consequences Sometimes you may not lose money, but you will miss out on the good things that God wants to do in your life because of it. When my wife, you know, whenever I think about acquiescing her plans, I always think about my wife. Uh, she grew up in Glendora, California. It's uh, pride of the foothills there in the valley of Southern California. And I came to her and I was like, hey, honey, I was acknowledging the voice of God. And now I think we should acquiesce to his plans and move to California because he's telling us to start a church and three friends of mine from high school are going to help us. How many of you want your husbands to come home and share that message with you? Uh, you're living in paradise. It, I'm not sure. Uh, she's a smart, intelligent woman, but I'm not sure she could have found Indiana on the map. She'd only been here once. She wasn't sure about that kind of move. And within six months of that prayer, we were not only living here, but almost immediately, my wife was like, yeah, let's do it. And we moved across the country. And when you do stuff like that, you think it's like, okay, God, I'll begrudgingly do what you want, but you miss out. The greatest years of our life have been the last 11 plus years of planting this church. The friendships, the stories, the life change, the impact, the spiritual leadership development, people multiplying, being sent out on mission, other churches starting, other people coming to Christ, stories happening every Sunday that we don't even know about here in Carmel. 20-some different churches being planted through Multiply Indiana as we celebrate next week. We're going to celebrate, man. So many incredible things. 17 people being baptized in the last few weeks. I believe that God is on the move during our day. But all those spiritual fruit requires us acquiesce and then actually act like Ananias does here. Look, look what he did. I hadn't read these verses yet in Acts 9. Look at verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Imagine, you're going to this guy that has been imprisoning your friends. And you go in there, and you know he might take you to jail. And instead, he places his hand on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, let the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may again uh, see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. 
And we remember the scales falling off, but could you imagine being Ananias seeing that happen? The supernatural thing happened right before your eyes. Your faith would be forever changed because you simply acquiesced and then actually took action to do what he was asking you to do. You know, when I first became a Christian, I was 19 and I used to get into like accountability groups in quotations because all that really was was we would come together and we would talk about the sins that we did that week and then we would go back the next week and do the exact same sins again and then come together and talk about that we did the same sins again and then we would go back the next week and come back again and talk about how we did the exact same sins that we talked about the previous week and it's just this repetitive cycle no action no life change just keep talking about one day i'm going to change my the secular motion that i'm in stuck in my spiritual ways And some of you have been stuck in your spiritual ways for a really long time. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad or feel guilty, but the truth is Paul understood what it was like to truly surrender, repent of his sin and say, God, I need you. He went blind for three days. He had everything taken from him. Do you know one of the first letters he wrote? Either 1 Thessalonians or Galatians was his first letter. And he wrote to the church in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It's by faith uh, that I've been saved. And he says that uh, the the reason I I have died and no longer live, but the life I live is through faith in the Son of God, Galatians 2.20. That part of this is to like deny ourselves, repent, build the firm foundation of faith where God could actually use us. And that repentance requires action. That you're going this way in your life and you know you got this thing that's you're keeping you from fully being used by God and saying, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm sorry, God. Forgive me. Now, out of your overflow of love, I'm going to begin to live differently. And so I started doing that in my life. I'm like, I'm not just going to sit in these groups talking about how I did the exact same thing. I'm going to go, God, I can't stop doing these bad things on my own. I need you. And so I would pray about it every day. Some of the sexual struggles I was having in my life as a 19-year-old, I began to see complete change and freedom from. And so if you're sitting there saying, I can't change, I want to tell you that is Satan's lie to every human being in this room attending online, that you'll always be somebody who never has any great spiritual impact. If I could just lull you to sleep fast enough so you could remain the, the remainder of your days living on a cushy life, trying to have a good income so you can go home, watch some Netflix, have a glass of wine before you go to bed at night, and that's what we'll call life. Don't give in to it. The type of faith that Paul developed throughout the book of Acts was one where he was no longer going to live the norm. He was going to say, I'm going to acquiesce to your plans because I saw it in Ananias. I'm going to act like he did, and he did it. In fact, I find sometimes that we think the main message that Jesus shared with people was to uh, you know, pray this prayer so that you can go to heaven. And I believe that if you surrender your life to Jesus and you can do that in a moment of prayer, we'll do it here today if we can, that you know you have eternal assurance as we talked about earlier. But that was not the main message Jesus came to bring. You remember what it was? Matthew says it this way, Matthew chapter four, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I'm sorry, God. I'm going to do a 180. You're with me today, 
It's not like before your resurrection. Now we can have your spirit with us. I'm going to start living differently because of what you have done in my life. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to take some action in it. And if you're here today and you feel stuck and spiritually stagnant, I think a first step to that can be repent. Now, it may not be that you've done some heinous action. Maybe you need to repent of the way that you've been thinking about things. You've been thinking things aren't going well in my life. God must be far from me. What if things are going well in your life and God is right there with you? See, Paul will go on to have the greatest spiritual impact of his life while he's in prison. He gets to Rome and around 63 AD, and he's on house arrest, Acts tells us, for two years. And then we believe he gets out of house arrest for a little while, only to get thrown into like real Roman prison and eventually be beheaded around 70 AD. Great persecution broke out in 64 AD by Nero, and in 70 AD, he's going to have uh, Paul killed because of his faith, we believe. And so, in those last six to seven years of Paul's life, for those in your last quarter of your life here today, what did Paul do? Well, I've served God. I already did. I've been a part of his great movement for years. Now I'm going to sit back and relax a little bit, hang out here in prison, watch some Netflix, get to know my, my roommates here well, right? Like what he did was he went and preached the gospel to the guards that were there. He asked them to go get the Jewish community there in Rome and bring them together so he could tell them about the good news of Jesus. And you know what happens then? Some of them respond and give their life to Christ, and some of them get angry. And here's Paul's response in Acts 28. So this is after he's been appealed to Caesar. There's a shipwreck on the way to Rome. They make it there. He's on house arrest. He presents the gospel to these people, and they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through the prophet Isaiah. It's really clear. I, I, I'm almost done. I want you guys all to get this. He quotes Isaiah 6. And I kept being like, why is he ending the, the book of Acts quoting Isaiah 6? I'm almost like if he knows what's about to come, and I think there may be no greater verses for our culture in the United States today. He says, Go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. That's not necessarily talking about physical healing. He's saying, I, I would spiritually heal all of the suffering and the pain, everything that they're going through. If they would just turn to me, and repent. Verse 28, therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. In his last days, he continues to expand the gospel right there in the city of Rome. And he will write uh, seven of his 13 letters in those final years that we have today. And that means more than half of his letters that are in the New Testament, he wrote during the period of time where everyone else would have thought he was the most stuck, most fallen, everything going wrong in his life, people looking bad at him because of what's happened to his life. 
So if you're here today and things aren't going well and you're hurting and you're broken and you're lost and you've been crying out to God going, where are you? I want to tell you some of you who are stuck in spiritual traffic this morning, that if you could just change your perspective enough to repent of your way of thinking and say, what if God is with me right now? What if God wants to demonstrate himself to those around me in my time of suffering to say, I have died and no longer live. The life I live is through faith in the Son of God. I will not acquiesce to my plans anymore. I will acquiesce to his plans. And then I'm going to take action and I'll start doing something about what he's been telling me and I'm going to stop pretending. Do you know how many Christians I've seen sit in chairs in churches around the U.S. speaking over the years who are just going through the motions and just faking it? If you want to see kingdom impact, what we've been seeing these last five weeks is because people are being honest and they're saying, I don't care if people know my junk. I don't care. I'm going to die someday, so like, I want to use my life for something of purpose. You want to know something? The reason this, I'm so passionate about this, even this morning, just as I was you know, kind of changing things yesterday afternoon, I realized you know, my son Jet, you know, he scored that goal. He was all excited. He came home. We started getting a little cocky and a little bit of a mood. I didn't like some of the things he was saying, and I got frustrated with him, and I yelled at him, and I was mean to him, and I don't I was fine with correcting and disciplining him, but it was the way in which I did it was just, I was just angry. And I just had this, this knot in the pit of my stomach just going, man, I'm, I'm old enough. I've known Jesus enough. I shouldn't be like that. And the beautiful part of the gospel is when we're honest about what's going on, we can still go back to him and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm, I want to change. Help me. And if some of you, you're like, well, I've gone to him with the same thing three times, four times, seven times, 70 times. He tells us you can still go back to him, but you better mean it and say, I, forgive me, God, for giving this again. And I, but I'm going to change and say, God, give me the spirit. And, and then to start when the next time it comes up, rather than to give in to whatever that temptation is in your life, mine was anger in the moment, to turn to him and pray, God, help me, sustain me through this season. That's the only way Paul could have got through all that he endured, all that he experienced. He had to have that firm foundation of being able to rely on the Lord and to repent continually in his life because Jesus came for people like that with that type of humility. You don't believe me? Luke 5, 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That means he came for the people in the room willing to admit it. Luke 13, 3, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Luke 15, 7, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then we can repress it and fake it and pretend like things aren't a mess in our life and try and hide it from people. But Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. It's that type of honesty, of willingness to say, God, I need you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm not going to blame everyone else in my life. I'm going to look inward and say, what have I caused, Lord? I need you. I want more of you. It's that type of humility, denial of self that leads Paul to spiritual impact for generations. He saw Anna live it out, and he had to learn to acquiesce his own plans and surrender to him in his suffering. And so if you're here today, as we close out our time, if you've been feeling spiritually stuck in your life, I want you to experience freedom, that you could be in a bigger traffic jam than that, and you could be okay because you got him with you. 
Your kids could frustrate you beyond all belief and you're going to be okay because you got them with you. You could be struggling with that same addictive habit and you're going to say, I'm going to change and I'm not going to give in anymore because I got him with me. I'm going to get Christian community around me and I'm going to fight back spiritually. You can say, my marriage may be a total 